I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 38 through 45, which was uh, just read. My name is Scott Reevely, and it's my privilege to be back here with you. It's been uh, too long in my estimation, but I'm really glad to see you uh, again. Have you ever wished that God would make himself known to you in some unmistakable way? Have you ever wondered if God was real and you hoped that you'd see a sign that would let you know really beyond a shadow of a doubt? Maybe you're exploring spirituality and it crossed your mind that it would be much easier to believe in God if He would, I don't know, do some sort of miraculous healing or make some impossible coincidence come together for you. If God could pull some strings, then it would be really clear to you that you should believe in Him. Or maybe you've had a hard couple years and you don't much feel like God loves you. Wouldn't it be great if God would create some sort of cosmic eraser to take away your pain? Or maybe He would convince you that He loves you by treating you in a way so that it, you know, God speaks my love language. If He would do something special like that, certainly it would be much easier to believe, wouldn't it? Well, it turns out you're not the first ones to wish for something like that. I think, it's, I think it's deep down in human nature to desire that God would show us a sign that we could somehow mitigate the risk of trusting in a living God that we can't see. Well, you're not the first ones. In fact, as has already been read, there were some scribes and some Pharisees who came to Jesus and said, we wish to see a sign from you. Now that, that should feel fairly familiar because that is, I think, what we're all looking for. Some sort of a sign, some sort of a ratification that we're on the right path. Well, let me just tell you though this morning that the desire for a sign is really a cover-up for tragic disbelief. When you ask for a sign, especially after you've just seen a sign, you're simply avoiding what is true. That's why that's why Jesus is so hard on these guys, right? They're, I, I want to say I, I'm pulling for them here. Because they actually, they actually have the same kind of thing going on that I have going on. It's like, make it a little easier for me. They said, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Yes, I have seen this bird on my perch. Wouldn't it be great for God to give us independent confirmation of everything He expects us to do? Now, before you really quickly lump me in with the Pharisees and the scribes, 
let me just suggest that there are some other folks that thought this was a pretty good idea. Okay, you've heard, uh, possibly, of a guy named Gideon. Gideon was one of the judges. If you read the book of Judges, you can't really av avoid him. Turns out God told him what he was supposed to do. And he had the same feelings about it I would have. And he took a deep breath and he said, can you please just show me a sign? Make, I, I don't want to do this if, you know, it's not going to work out great. And so that's uh, what God did. They put a fleece out. Next morning, it was wet. The ground was dry. Turned it around the next day. It was dry. The ground was wet. Boom. God's real. Gideon gets after it. And uh, the Midianites are taken care of. Wouldn't it be great to have some sort of fleece like that? Or maybe you've heard of King Hezekiah. He was one of the more uh, famous kings. In fact, you can still see remnants of his reign if you go to Jerusalem today. He's got a tunnel all the way through the city. And uh, prophet came to him and said, yeah, you're pretty sick and you're going to die. And he said, oh, please beg the Lord for me. Uh, and then the, the prophet did and turned around then and said, you know what? You're going to live a few more years. He said, really? Can you show me a sign? And the sun went uh, backwards on a sundial. It's like, wow, that would really help me. <laughs> and in these two instances anyway, it seems like God has is, God is answered with a sign that they requested and then subsequently blessed them, right? In fact, we're pretty familiar with this kind of a thing at Christmas time. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. Isn't that great? You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. So I think this desire for a sign or for confirmation is really natural. But I want to say, I don't think that that's all that's going on in Matthew chapter 12. Because their desire for this sign, we desire to see a sign from you, is more of an attempt to dodge the issue than it is to confirm the issue. What they do doesn't even really approximate faith, but rather it's an active expression of their lack of faith. Their desire for a sign is ultimately anti-faith. And why would I say that? Because they have already, in fact, seen a sign. If you look back uh, up in, in uh, verses 20 through 23, Jesus heals a man who is blind and deaf and demon-possessed, And it doesn't even tell us how. I mean, how would you do that? Would you, would you shake him until it happened? You couldn't say anything. He wouldn't hear you. You know, you couldn't do anything because he couldn't see you. But for Jesus, it was effortless. So much so that the other people, besides these scribes and Pharisees, recognized 
that this was a sign. And if you look at verse 23, they said, could this be the son of David? Now, where would they come up with that? They just saw a sign. Jesus just made it obvious. In fact, he made it unmistakable so that they all saw it. (laughs) Except for these scribes and Pharisees, we'd really like to see a sign. You really need to understand this, I think, and let it sink in. Their request for a sign was more along the lines of Satan's temptation of Jesus than it was really of my insecurities. Because Satan said to Jesus, right, turn this, turn this stone into bread. Do this trick. That's what these guys are after. They're after some sort of a trick. And I think they want the same thing that Satan wanted. See, first of all, you think, well, you're bringing Satan into something Satan has no business in. But really, Jesus just cast out this demon possessed or this demon from this man, right? And what did they say? You did this by the power of Satan. I mean, Satan's got his fingers all over this. And I think they wanted what Satan wanted, really. They wanted to be in charge of Jesus. They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. They wanted Jesus to jump through their hoops. I hope you don't know anybody else like that, that wants Jesus to do what they want him to do. But that's their problem, isn't it? They want to know the sign. And so this is how Jesus responds, verse 39. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so it's really their desire for this sign that tells Jesus they are an evil and adulterous generation, which seems like a really harsh response wanting a sign. Again, that tells me there's more going on here than simply their own insecurity. So Jesus says, you're going to have no sign but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, Jonah was one of Jesus' favorites. I mean, I can just imagine Jesus reading his, when he was a little boy, his cartoon storybook Bible right? And he gets to the page, you know, with the big fish. That's everyone's favorite. I say it's Jesus' favorite. In chapter 16, he uses this same thing again. He brings it up over and over. The Jonah, as you know, was called by God to go preach to Nineveh, which was a Um, well, they were the the capital of the enemy, of course, and they were ruthless and completely godless, uh, at least godless in the terms that we would understand, the real God. They had their fish gods, which probably did impress them then, 
that a fish had swallowed the prophet. He goes then and um, runs away on a ship. They throw him overboard. The fish swallows him. He stays in that fish for three days and three nights. Fish circles toward shore, spits him out. He swims to shore. He then goes straight to Nineveh. And there's nothing in the book of Jonah that would indicate that Jonah gave them a masterful sermon. In fact, there's every indication this was a pretty average sermon by someone who didn't want to preach it. And what did they do? They wholesale turned to Yahweh. They completely repented and turned to the living God. And so... Jesus loved that story. Because God loves people and cares to send them the message of repentance. And if they heed it, He will embrace them. And here we have people asking for a sign, and Jesus saying, That's the sign you're going to get. That's the one sign you're going to get. Then, well, then he explains it again in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus loves that story, but he applies that story to really the heart of the good news there, the thing that we maintain uh, as most important and most precious. The thing in the Scripture that is at the heart of every sermon after The resurrection. And that is that Jesus died and rose again. And Jesus wants to connect what happened with Jonah to what was about to happen with him. And he wanted to communicate to them that when you see that, when Jesus is alive from the dead, you had better bow your knee to him. You have no right to ask Him to do your thing. You have no right to expect Him to jump in through any of your hoops. You better submit to Jesus. In other words, I'm going to take a step back now, and I want you just to think about this. And think about how I started with all of my hopes, really, that I would get some additional confirmation somehow God would speak to me in some special miraculous way. Well, really, what Jesus is saying here, you have what you need. You have all the evidence for believing in Jesus that you need. You have an empty tomb. And what else can compete with that. What else do you need? Nothing. Verse 41. Because of that then, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. (laughs) These Ninevites, by contrast to uh, this evil uh, and adulterous generation, they had virtually no evidence. I mean, they, they may have had a prophet that they could still see was partially digested. Probably all the evidence they had. He walks up and says, you need to repent. And these Gentiles got the message. These enemies of God's people repented. They heard a half-hearted message from a reluctant prophet with virtually no evidence, and they turned to Yahweh. How much worse will it be for this wicked generation who has Jesus right in front of them, before whom He is crucified, and then before whom He rises from the dead, and they say, can you do a trick for me? So Jesus really is making one point and one point only. You have the sign that you need. You don't need hocus-pocus. You have the sign of the resurrection of Jesus. In all of Christianity, all of Christianity is willing to bet everything that that tomb is empty. Are you? Will you bet that that tomb is empty? That's what Jesus is saying. The tomb is empty and that's all you need. And so you get the sign of Jonah. Now have to smile because that's the way Jesus presses this into them, right? That you have, you only get the resurrection. But he keeps going. It's like you only need the resurrection and one more thing. Okay, and so he gives them a second piece of evidence here. This uh, queen of the south, verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, I'm not exactly sure why Jesus went to this next. He could have gone virtually anywhere in the Old Testament, couldn't he? He could have gone to Moses. Moses uh, you know, went up to Sinai. Moses led the people through the wilderness. They were rebellious, a wicked and rebellious generation too. He could have said, story about Moses, insert someone greater than Moses is here. That would have worked. Or he could have done the same thing with David. Someone greater than David is here. The whole Old Testament works that way. But he actually goes to this queen of the south. Now we read about her in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. You don't need to turn there because I'm going to give you the summary of her interaction. What, what happened is she had heard about Solomon. Like, hey, there's this guy up in Israel and he's got, um, you know, he's got a lot going on. He's, there, there's all sorts of riches up there. He's got all kinds of wisdom. 
And it's one of the most uh, amazing, magnificent situations you have ever seen. And she probably heard this once and twice and three times. She hears this rumor over and over, and she has to say, all right, enough. I'm going to go check it out for myself. And uh, she probably uh, hops on her camel, heads north to Israel, and goes to see it for herself. And sure enough, her complaint is, they didn't tell me enough. This story is even better than they told me. And so here's her summary in 1 Kings 10.9, and it says, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king. Because He's loved Israel forever, He's made you king. That you may execute justice and righteousness. And so her takeaway is that all she did was she went to see Solomon, saw all of his stuff, heard all of his wisdom, and she knew Yahweh loved Israel. And because he loved Israel, he made Solomon king so that he would execute justice and righteousness. That's why Jesus pulls this in. Because here is this Gentile queen who on a rumor investigates Solomon and ends up believing in the magnificence or in glory and love of Yahweh. So that Yahweh, through Solomon, would exercise justice and righteousness. And Jesus said, the queen of the south is going to rise up in judgment because... She believed in Solomon. or she, she believed in Yahweh because of Solomon. And she knew that God was doing justice and righteousness on the earth. And now, someone wiser and more magnificent than Solomon is here to do justice and righteousness on the earth. And so... The Gentile city of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against you. This Gentile queen will rise up in judgment against you. And I think Jesus pulled in this queen of the south also because it was clear that these scribes and Pharisees who wanted a sign didn't think that Jesus was all that great. When in fact, the queen of the south wasn't sure about Solomon either until she saw his wisdom and glory. And so, if Jesus is wisdom personified and the very glory of God, and they could not bring themselves to believe in Him, what would become of them? Because they had so much more evidence that God loved Israel than the Queen of the South did, yet they refused to believe. Now, I'm just going to take a little parenthesis here and give you just one other potential uh, application of this. Because a lot of times when we are looking for signs, 
It's when we're wanting to make a decision. Tell me, well, maybe I'm the only one, right? <laughs> Is this the right car? Right? You're walking a car lot, or you're, you're scanning ads at Craigslist, and then you go see one, how do you know? Is this really, is this a lemon? Are you going to get one that's going to, in the last year, how are you going to know? God, give me a sign, right? <laughs> People have used this same thing. Is, is, this, is this the right person to marry? God, will you give me a sign? I just want to say to you, even though that's the temptation, isn't it? Give me a sign. You have a personal relationship with wisdom itself, wisdom personified in the person of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, He is our wisdom. I mean, whatever sign you're looking for is just as likely to deceive you as it is to confirm that you should buy that car. But you have Jesus. And even the purchase of a car, even the decision about which college to attend, any of those things, let those be a thing that drives you back to Jesus and causes you to run to Him and embrace Him and talk to Him about it. And so, yeah, the princess is over there. But it's not over for Jesus. Jesus said, you're only going to get the sign of Jonah. Well, well, okay, the sign of the Queen of the South also. And then he says, well, let me give you one more. Make sure you get this. He's, he really pounds us in three times. Verse 43, and this is the weirdest one. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says... I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it'll find the house empty and swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. This is a weird little story, isn't it? It sounds like some sort of mashup between a Halloween movie and Marie Kondo. <laughs> what is Jesus trying to tell us here? He's actually trying to tell us the same thing. And we know that because the very last sentence tells us this is not really about how you do exorcism. In other words, this isn't a step-by-step -step thing to keep the, the last instance of somebody who had a demon from being worse than the first uh, situation. It's not a template for how to get rid of demons. Like you've got to do it a certain way or, or it's going to come back and it's going to be some spooky thing. It's not that at all. This is the third time that he... Uh, says the same thing to this evil generation. To these people who have Jesus right in front of them and willfully ask for something in addition. 
Jesus has come and plundered the strong man's house. Okay, these are verses right above. Jesus has come and plundered the strong man's house. He has set it in order. And if this generation continues in their unrepentance and disbelief, the situation will be worse than if he had never come at all. That's what this is about. This is really just a parable or some story that Jesus is telling them to make sure that they recognize. That Jesus has come and he has bound the strong man and he set the things in order. And if you say, no, 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 we're, we're, we want you to jump through our hoop. We want to be in charge. We want you to do this trick for us or that trick for us. We refuse to believe and to repent. If you continue in your disbelief and unrepentance, the last situation will be worse than if you'd never heard about Jesus at all. Now, maybe some of you have, are familiar, again, with this desire to see a sign. Or maybe some of you are even talking to your friends and you're, you're telling them the good news about Jesus and they're saying, I'll believe it if I have a sign. Only if I see, only if I see this or only if I see that. Well, I want you to imagine here in this instance when they said, we want to see a sign. Imagine if Jesus had done another sign. Jesus, I mean, if Jesus was as desperate, right, to get people to believe in him as, <laughs> as we think he was, right? And he says, okay, 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 what do you want me to do? And they demand something and he does it. What would happen then? Yeah, nothing would change, would it? There isn't a thing at all that would change. It would just be, we need another sign. I don't believe that one. I don't believe that one. Because the issue is not that they did not have enough information. The issue was that they were bearing the fruit of unbelief. We just saw a couple of verses earlier, right? That make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad. <laughs> this bad fruit of unbelief comes from a bad tree. From an unregenerate, unchanged, unborn again heart. The tree was evil, so the fruit was evil. And so nothing would have changed. No sign would have been good enough. And so, just to recap, looking for a sign, I would say most often is a way for dodging belief rather than exercising belief. It's a way of avoiding what you already know to be true. Because you only need the answer to one question. The question that Jesus raises here. The sign of the prophet Jonah. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? You don't need more information. You simply need to believe that yes, in fact, that's true. And I will submit to him. If you are on the hunt for glory and for wisdom, for something that really seems out of this world, the Queen of the South went to see it in Solomon. 
but you have it in Jesus. You don't need some external show. Someone greater than Solomon is here. If you're looking for some sort of freedom or self-improvement, even like the story Jesus told about this demon, this guy's self, he's improved, right? There's got no demon. He's free of it. Don't reject Jesus and work to clean yourself up. Because if you do, your final state will be worse than your first. Rather, believe the sign of Jonah, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, that he conquered sin and death and the devil, that he, that he bound the strong man and plundered his house. There is no other way for you to have a relationship with God or to have uh, eternal or abundant life than through Jesus. You cannot avoid Him. You cannot add to Him some other sign that will help you. You don't need anything else. Jesus rose from the dead, and you need Him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, will you forgive me, forgive us, for wanting to add things to Jesus to somehow make it easier, somehow take away the, the burden that we feel of faith. And Father, would you help us to, um, to really trust what we know to be true, to walk day by day believing that we have a living Savior with us whose Spirit is with us, would you help us to trust in him in a way that doesn't need external prompts? And so, Father, we, we really do need your help for that, but we know that Jesus is good enough, and so we trust him and ask this in his name. Amen.